0: Hey kids, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast you're going to love. On behalf of myself, Morgan Rector, of one of the most horrific true crime podcasts, Human Monsters. I'd like to ask you this question. Do you like to travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Fun fact, there is a morgue on every cruise ship. After all... People die everywhere. Why wouldn't they die on a cruise ship in the Bahamas? Well, this new podcast has all that in murder. murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, vacation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and what-the-fuck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorn, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, To Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater, each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway, and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.
1: Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club.
2: Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts.
0: welcome to our first edition of True Crime News and I'm joined by a co-host and her name is Rachel Telfer. Say hello Rachel.
3: Hello everyone.
0: And uh, so I'm just going to introduce you to our listeners. So um, how did you first get into true crime? What what stoked your interest in that?
3: Oh well living kind of a life and somewhat of a true crime area, being from Florida and, um, you know, having some real life experience, <laughs> um, kind of started me out at an early age, but also I had a friend of mine a couple of years ago turn me on to podcasts for the first time, and that kind of really drug me down into the the hole and the obsession of true crime by listening to all the podcasts I could listen to. Um and it's become a kind of a passion, which is—I don't know if it's the right thing to say, but hey, mm-hmm. we'll go with it. Sure, for many
0: people it is. <laughs> is there a particular type of uh, story that tends to attract
3: your attention the most? Um, I think I previously told you, Morgan, and talking offline, and I don't—I <clears throat> don't say this lightly. I, I tend to be somebody that wants to know the worst about people because oh, yes. then I'm prepared for the worst.
4: Good point.
3: So, yeah, I won't lie in saying that the the, the most gruesome and, and horrifying tales are usually what capture me, and it's because I want to be aware of the human monsters that are surrounding us on a regular basis.
0: And there's many of those in Florida, aren't there?
3: Uh well <laughs> we are making jokes sir but yes there are
0: <laughs> well they have the most uh, punitive measures apparently for for pedophiles down there um like we once discussed there's actually I don't know how many of them are, are there are but there's one trailer park where everyone is a sex offender they actually correct they actually created this space just for them because if they don't live in a place like that what happens is, I don't know if this is the case in Florida, but I think it is. uh, Not only are you put on the sex offender registry, but now they're doing things like they actually put a sign in front of the guy's house saying that he's a registered sex offender and uh, a pedophile, if that happens to be the case. And uh, so, yeah, they're really going all out. I don't know what they're going to do next, start putting up billboards or what. But, uh,
3: well, I don't know I don't know of the signage, but I do know um there there is a website that you can go to uh regularly and I don't know it off the top of my head, but I can get it for you. We can link it if if, if need be. Um where you can pull up and I did this uh where I live now and I do have two, you know, young young boys, so obviously it it, it concerns me. Uh registered sex offenders are not allowed to be in a certain mile radius of schools um, of other certain types of areas. But I think the limit is within like two miles, which in my opinion is extremely too close.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, So I pulled up my address recently and within a four mile radius, I believe there were eight registered sex offenders that lived within four <laughs> miles of me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. It's, I mean, and then the people who, who are like you're talking about, um, who are hardcore sex offenders, you know, they're known. They've gone to trial. People know them. They actually do. There's a little group of them that kind of live in little shanties, and they have to move around because law enforcement constantly moves them from where they are, so they really don't have a place to be. So that's where that that trailer park comes in, you know.
0: I well, I once had a look at just one sex offender registry for one particular district, and it just was endless. It just went yeah. on and on. It must have been like fifty to hundred pages long.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's astounding. It's mind blowing if you really look it up.
0: Yeah, and they're out there too. I mean, they're not. These things are not that hard to track down. They make it public.
3: Oh, very public. And yeah. and it's funny because a lot of people don't even. I mean, if you're not a parent, I guess if you're a parent, you're more aware of it, but still, I mean, go check, go check, you know, where you were in Florida last and just pull up that address and see how many sex offenders are around you. It's mind blowing.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm just going to ask you uh, not to touch the mic or the microphone stand because it reverberates into the, like, I, I can hear it. So. Yes, sir. Yeah. All right. Thanks
3: better
0: yeah thank you yeah so my first story uh actually concerns the famous gabriel fernandez case uh so what's happening with that is his mother who is filing for a resentencing petition years after she pled guilty to torturing and murdering him uh so uh the way the story goes is los angeles deputy district attorney john hatami calls a petition filed by pearl fernandez which aims to get her resentenced for the murder of her own son, Gabriel. Plain. Wow. Uh, so his mother uh, filed a petition in California earlier this month, and she asked to be resentenced after being found guilty in 2018 of the brutal torture and killing of her son. Gabriel was killed in 2013 after months of abuse by his mother, Perla Fernandez, and her boyfriend, Isoro Equire. I don't know if that's how to pronounce it, but... Uh, the incarcerated mother filed a petition on April 1st asking to be resentenced for her son's murder. She claims in the petition obtained by Oxygen.com that she is not the boy's killer and did not participate in the murder. Pearl Fernandez had pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and to the special circumstance allegation of murder in to- involving torture in 2018. She took a plea deal to avoid trial and to receive a life prison term without the possibility of parole. If she went to trial, she could have faced the death penalty. Uh, Aguirre did go to trial the same year and is currently on death row at San Quentin. Uh, Los Angeles Deputy District Attorney John Hatami, who prosecuted both suspects, testified that for months they put out lit cigarettes on the boy's body, Mm
4: -hmm. shot
0: him in the face with a BB gun, Mm -hmm. made him eat cat litter and feces, and forced him to sleep in a locked cabinet, often while bound and gagged. Gabriel was declared brain dead at a local hospital after being fatally beaten on May 2013. He died two days later. The the policies and directives from my office and these new laws created by the legislature are emboldening murderers of children to apply to be resentenced, Hatami said in a statement. This is completely unfair to the surviving families and their loved ones. Families now have to relive all the horror that was perpetrated upon a small and helpless child. It is plain wrong and completely unjust. Based on upon all the evidence presented at the grand jury, which was made public, and the jury trial, Pearl Fernandez was a major participant in the torture and murder of Gabriel Fernandez and physically assaulted, tortured, and abused Gabriel Over eight months, which led to his death, Gabriel would have turned 16 this year. To commemorate his life, Hatami and some of the boy's relatives gathered at Gabriel's tree in Palmdale, California. And uh, Hatami also said, "Don't let Gabriel's story, his life, his death, and his trial be for nothing. Children are our most precious resource." You know, I'm not. I saw the documentary about that old case that's on Netflix.
3: Yeah, I could.
0: Tell us, yeah, and I could just tell by the mother's countenance and the same with her boyfriend, they felt no remorse, like None. you just see the the cold malevolence in their faces. And she I can tell she feels no no more remorse than he does.
3: As a mother watching that documentary broke me. I I was so appalled my heart, my soul. You know, and, and I our listeners who are mothers or fathers can can 100% feel that pain that how could people that bring a child into this world
4: sure possibly
3: enough. number 1 do that and then number 2 literally don't have remorse for it. Like you are just pieces of human garbage and you deserve not to be alive. In my opinion, I mean, that's my opinion. I just, there's there's just no excuse for that.
0: And not that their conduct would ever have been appropriate with any child, but this kid was not a, a poorly behaved child either. He was you know. supposed to be very kind sweet little boy but they had they got into their heads that that he was gay that he was effeminate and they found that idea offensive and and so that that's what that's what it started it all
3: um it brings you to a whole another a whole other level of, of of ignorance in this in this country in this state
0: <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean and also the whole thing with how the social System, you know, social services system failed him too. Very much so. Uh, it was just so bureaucratic and fragmented, and uh, I mean, some social workers almost went to jail because of that. So they, they should have.
3: It was infuriating.
0: Oh yeah, um, I think that uh, I believe if my if my memory serves me correctly, I think he was just staying with relatives for a while, like an uncle or something like that, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually a good time in his life, but social workers decided – I mean, they feel like basically unless the circumstances at home are truly, truly heinous, the ideal is that the child would live with the parents. But I think maybe – I think they put on an act to satisfy them so that he could go back.
3: Well, wasn't that the case where they did have the social workers come to his house – and they, there, they yeah. did. They literally didn't go in the house to physically check on him.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's. Right. I think I remember that. They just didn't go inside, or if they, they did, just, I
3: think, yeah.
0: I think they hid a lot of things. Um, like when I interviewed a social worker for this show a while ago, you know that that's not unusual. People hiding things, or uh, they they adapt to the system to this in, in the sense that. They're like, okay, so we'll put on a uh, we'll put on an act for these people. We'll do whatever they tell us to do. That'll get the kid back, and the social worker doesn't know if it's fake or not. So the kid ends up back with them. So it's not always the social worker's fault.
3: But, right? Uh, Agreed. I mean, they do good work. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I'm definitely not downplaying the social workers. They're number one. Very overloaded. The case amounts they have are astounding, especially in my state where I live. I know um, it's, it's, it's a really interesting and hard place to be because there's so many things being um, reported. And then you have to make the decision of what's actually a problem and what's not. And I don't want to be put in that position. I wouldn't want to be that person. But I do appreciate the people who do.
0: Yeah, and then there's also the problem that a lot of kids are reluctant to talk about what happened because they, they still love the abuser. They don't want to be taken out of their home. Of course. Yeah, so I mean, that's something that a lot of social workers struggle with. I mean, even though the child knows full well that what's being done to them is, is wrong and certainly unpleasant and painful, uh, they just a lot of them are very reluctant to open up about it.
3: So. Of course, it's scary. They're they're young, they don't know any better.
0: Oh, exactly.
3: You know, it's indoctrination.
0: It's totally. Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of that. Yeah, there's a lot of manipulation by abusers.
3: Yeah. So we know that all too well. Oh yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately.
0: <laughs> so what's your first story, Rachel?
3: So I'm actually gonna bring up a story. Um. Uh, this is a story. That I personally experienced uh, in my elementary school. Um, it was a really difficult. I was, I believe, I was eight years old. Um, the case just had a break uh, in. Oh, what was it? 2010. I want to say. So it is the case of uh Her name was Robin Cornell. Um, Lived in Cape Coral, Florida. Uh, This was uh, 1990. Mm -hmm. She was 11 years old. Um, She lived with her mother and a woman named Lisa Story. Um, They were in Lisa's apartment. Her mother, Robin, had gone out one night. This was in uh, May of 1990 uh Robin Cornell who was the, or I'm sorry it was uh
4: her mother Jan Cornell came home after being with her boyfriend out for the
3: night returned the next day and found both uh Lisa her roommate and her daughter, her 11-year-old daughter's body um
4: murdered brutally and sexually assaulted and suffocated in their apartment um,
3: nothing happened for a very long time. I remember this being investigated. I remember being a nine year old girl who went to school with this with this girl
4: mm-hmm. and
3: and trying to understand what murder was yeah at that age. Um, it was very gruesome. The murders um were among the most famous unsolved crimes. They were, they were featured in America's Most Wanted in 2010. Um, they did, again, both uh, die from suffocation. They were killed sometime between 11 and 4 before Robin's mother returned to the apartment to get ready for work. Um, she returned to the front door locked, entered the house through the back sliding, door, uh, sliding glass doors, which had been left ajar to find both of the bodies in the upstairs bathroom. I can't imagine that. Mm. Um, Hundreds of people were interviewed over the past 24 years in relation to the case. Um, Finally, DNA, yay, DNA, in 2016, found a man named Austin Ziegler. Um, His DNA was taken at the Lee County Jail, some 20 miles from where the murders took place,
4: and he was arrested on suspicion. Um, Once entered into the police database, it was returned the
3: match with traces found at the crime scene. Um, He was arrested, but at this time, I believe he still has not been sentenced, mm. which bothers me. Um, he's so what, not yet appeared in court. He's facing two counts of sexual battery, two counts of murder, and a charge of burglary with assault.
4: So what's holding it up? Um, I think it's
3: just because it's such an old case that they are trying to make a case to take him to court. You know, that, like, whole... Alright, we have DNA, but we need all we can before we can take it in.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, this is one I, I, I wanna update you with. I just um it, it's funny because when we first started talking about this podcast, it was one of the things that I thought about first because this girl's face I will never forget.
4: The picture yeah. of her I I mean I can see it right now.
3: You know, as as an eight year old child. Um it, it, it was alarming. And so when we talked about doing this podcast, I'm like, ooh, let me go in and look at this case. So I'm going to do a little bit of a, a deep dive to see where it's going to go, when the um, case is going to pot- uh, potentially happen, and then update everybody on that because I do believe that Robin Cornell and Lisa's Story deserve to be remembered. Um, sure, she was an eleven year old girl who was a beautiful person. she was had a beautiful smile. she was a ray of sunshine in our school, and there was no reason for her to be or Lisa to be brutally murdered for absolutely no reason
0: so and to have that experience of that age to personally know someone who was murdered in such a grisly fashion yeah um what was it how How did you process it, or were you able to process it like what was it like for you?
3: I think I was so young at the time that I didn't really know i mean i was I was kind of naive as a child, lived in kind of a stricter home you know parent my parents were a little strict on me, but there were definitely talks of this brutal murder, and people were teachers were talking about it, students were talking about it, you know it was very close, so I just remember thinking like. It was my probably my first real experience with crime, with true crime. So I guess that's why I wanted to start with this because it was. I, I just remember going home and being like, "Wow, like people can do that! Like, what what does that even mean? Like, how can people be that way?" It, it was very jarring. Um, my parents aren't really. They're not. <laughs> they're they're. Mm-hmm. They're not super emotional, you know. They didn't really talk to me about it, so we just kind of talked to our friends about it, and teachers, and and um, you know, the people at the school, the guidance counselors, if we needed to talk about it. So,
0: did you kind of lose your innocence at that point, or?
3: I don't think I completely lost my innocence yet. We'll eventually, in a couple, in a couple episodes, get to where that happens. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
0: Happened in steps, did it? It, in it? it
3: Happened in steps, Morgan. Okay, so this is just the this is the beginning of the uh, of the future. <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, it's Florida, right? So I mean, it's Florida. So rite
0: of passage to lose your innocence. And really, I love the
3: juxtaposition of my co of of my co host and and Canada, and then me being completely opposite in Florida. So yeah.
0: Well, it's like I often say, like I. <laughs> See for Canadians, Florida is shangri-la. It's, it's the promised land. There's yeah, thousands, of people, thousands of people known as the snowbirds. Most of them elderly go down there to winter every Florida, and they're in love with Florida. But most of the people I meet who are from there and/or live there hate the place with a passion. It's really, it's really interesting.
3: Well, living here, I will tell you that we—I I mean, I love my tourism. My snowbirds, you know, bring their money in. But I absolutely despise driving when they are here.
0: Oh, yeah. Why is that?
3: They all need to just get off of the road between the hours of 8 and 10 when we are trying to get to work. And then between the hours of 4 to 6 when we are trying to get home from work.
0: Well, they're driving in a very leisurely way because it's very a, leisurely. It's a vacation, right? So what do they have? What do they have to be on time? Well, for? they're
3: going to the golf course or dinner, yeah. and I don't have time to wait for them. And yeah. they literally don't look both ways before pulling out into a median because it's just their life and their Bentley. So, well,
0: well the one time I went to St. Pete's, like my uncle was just pointing out, like everyone else drives really fast down here, and whereas he drove at a pretty, he didn't drive slow. But it was a pretty, I guess, leisurely pace, and so he had to just wait for traffic to thin out before he drove out to the street. Yeah. So. uh, Yeah, you do
3: to save your life.
1: Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Hi, I'm Karina Bemisterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your
3: daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right, daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short-form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So, why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts, and remember, stay safe.
0: Speaking of Florida, my next story is actually about an incident that happened in Florida. Oh, brilliant. The title of this one is... Man allegedly, man allegedly pulls severed ears from pockets while being questioned about grandfather's murder.
4: So, oh, God. Here,
0: Colby Parker, who owned a, an apron, emblazoned with the phrase, the family butcher, allegedly, allegedly cut off his grandfather's ears after beating him with a baseball bat and stabbing him with a knife. A Florida man allegedly pulled his grandfather's butchered ears from his pockets as he was being questioned in his brutal and bizarre murder over the weekend. Colby Parker, 30, is accused of murdering his 77-year-old grandfather, Ronald Wells Sr., on Saturday inside the Lake County home they shared, the Lake County Sheriff's Department said in a press release. Deputies said they responded to the home after Parker reported that he was attacked by Wells after the pair got into a fight while smoking marijuana. Uh, Parker is said to have claimed his elderly grandpa came at him with a knife and that he was able to disarm Wells and use the knife against him. Parker claimed he, quote, acted in self-defense, end quote, according to the release. Wells was found on the front porch of the home with multiple stab wounds and apparently without his ears, which were later found on his grandson. As, he was, being, as he was being questioned by police, Parker produced two human ears from his pants pocket which were later discovered to be those of the decedent, the sheriff's department stated. They said that the grandson then became violent toward the deputies, attacking and fighting them and trying to disarm them. He was immediately arrested and booked on battery on a law enforcement officer and resisting with violent charges, resisting with violence charges. As detectives searched the home, Shared by the victim and the suspect, they discovered a baseball bat in the corner of the porch with what appeared to be blood-like stains, as well as a large butcher knife on the kitchen table and dripped blood on the kitchen floor. Investigators also found an apron in Parker's bedroom with the phrase, the family butcher emblazoned on it, though it sounds like that's coincidental. Uh, Plastic human ears with fake blood were attached to the garment. Uh, Detectives say that Parker later confessed to striking his grandfather multiple times in the head with a baseball bat before stabbing him repeatedly with a butcher knife numerous times, then cutting off his ears. He allegedly allegedly said he wanted his grandfather to be with his deceased grandmother. After after the confession, Parker was also charged with second-degree murder, domestic violence. He's being held on no bond. It's unclear if he has retained an attorney to speak on his behalf.
3: And how long ago was this?
0: Uh, this was pretty recent. I think it was just a few weeks ago.
3: Oh my god! <clears throat> so I'm feeling a little Ed Gain vibe here.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny because you know pot can trigger psychotic episodes, so it's not it's not entirely safe if if you're mentally ill. Um, and uh, sometimes when you buy it in joints, you know sometimes people sprinkle. Cocaine or something on like that, so maybe that triggered it.
3: Oh, oh, oh the next story I, I'm gonna do actually, we're gonna we're gonna is a good segue into that. But let's continue on this one because yeah. <clears throat> I mean, obviously we know. I mean, name me name me three predictors of a serial killer, Morgan.
4: What What are our three predictors? Uh, cruelty to animals.
3: Yes.
0: Um, a desultory work record. They tend to have struggle trouble holding down a job. Correct. Uh, substance abuse is another one. Yep. Those are the three that I know for sure.
3: And then, and then I'll go, and then I'll go further, and I'll say, family, uh, 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 some kind of abuse as a child. Oh yeah. And my personal favorite, because I do have children and want them to walk around with a fucking helmet on them at all times, is frontal lobe damage.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true too. <laughs> There was some kind of brain defect involved in this guy.
3: Yeah, so, like when kids get dropped on their head or something, I'm like, oh nope, frontal damage is not okay. That's totally gonna make you a serial killer. So I'm overly protective of my kids' noggin's.
0: Well, there must have been a, a history of abuse or violence in this situation because yeah, the guy to get for the guy to wear an apron that says "family butcher" and it's I mean, got fake, fake body parts glued to it.
3: I mean, uh, what was Homegirl's name? That was the butcher. What was our? Um, oh, one of my favorite serial killers—the one who um, totally skinned her husband and hung his cor- his his skin up, and then put his and then served his head to his his children. Come on, you know who I'm talking about.
0: Um, I don't think I did that case. Um,
3: oh, but you're going to.
0: Well, that's pretty intriguing, I must say.
3: Oh, honey, I'm gonna send it to ya.
0: Yeah, was that a more recent case?
3: Oh no, it's older. It's a good one. You're gonna, it's gonna be right up your alley. I can't wait. Hey, human monsters like fans, that, you're you're you know what I'm talking about. You're gonna love this case. They must know what it is.
0: I mean, it sounds like something Ed Gein would have done or Jeffrey Dahmer.
3: It is. She yeah. is like the female Ed Gein.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting. Yeah, there's not a lot of female serial killers, but that would it'd be interesting to hear about that one.
3: No, she yeah, she's she's a she's a peach.
0: When was she alive?
3: She is not alive anymore. Um, she was she had a really rough upbringing. A, a large woman. Um, she was raised in a butcher house, so she uh cut apart. She she was a butcher, but then kind of took it. Ooh. Well, too far,
0: <laughs> yeah yeah when you when you advance beyond beef, chicken, and pork,
3: yeah, when you do it to, I'm not, I don't wanna give away any details because honestly, it's one of the one of my favorite uh probably true crime stories ever so i'm gonna let you i'm gonna put that one on you, Morgan
0: well, there are listeners <laughs> I know there are listeners who know like every case there are people
3: like that. Yeah, they're going to know and they're going to want you to do it because you do it only the way you can. So we want to hear that beautiful Morgan voice tell this story.
4: Thank you.
0: Of uh, course. So what was your next case there?
3: Okay, so <laughs> going into your crazy Florida um, crap, when this happened in, uh, I believe it was 2012, I was literally stuck to the live feed of this. And I think hopefully most of you know that it was the man, the the, the face-eating bath salts zombie man in Miami. Mm-hmm. Are we familiar with this? Uh,
0: um, it, it sounds very Floridian, but I don't know that specific case. <laughs> okay,
3: so what happened? Um, there was a call about a 31-year-old man. He was completely nude. He was running along a highway in Miami and out of his mind, completely just nude running around. He accosted a, um, a homeless man and physically started trying to eat his face. Oh, wow. Okay. So Miami police showed up. They repeat, They pled for him to stop eating the man's face. The man turned around and growled at them. <laughs> um, <laughs> they did shoot him four times. He did not stop. Um, He was on the power of bath salts. So at the end, 75% of the victim's face was eaten away, rendering him almost unrecognizable. Um, It was really, really intense to watch. Uh, The man was confirmed to have some sort of bath salts that he had taken Uh, Exhibiting classic signs of someone high on the drug. Um, So, the president of the Miami Fraternal Order of Police, who had been in contact with the officer who killed Eugene, says similarities between this and other recent cases involving bath salts were striking. So, at this time, this was when bath salts, I believe, were sold in Florida. Because, hi, Florida, let's be fucking ridiculous. And let's just sell this shit in. You know, gas stations. Essentially,
0: they sold them in gas stations.
3: I'm not even kidding. Like, like well, like it's a, like this, like like the synthetic weed and all that. Not this is what caused this craziness. So
0: this is this, not, us, this is not drug dealers on the street. This no, is like, well, no,
3: this guy. is legitimate. Like you could walk in. I mean, like the the synthetic pot and this kind of stuff. It was just insanity. Um. So the cases, it says, the cases similar minus a man eating another, Mm. people taking off their clothes, people suddenly having superhuman strength. They become violent. They were, and they were burnt, they felt like they were burning up from the inside out. So that's why they took their clothes off because they, they, it was almost like, you know, when you're so cold that you feel like you're on fire. Um, Mm-hmm. I've heard some of those stories. Their organs were reaching a level that they would die. So by the time the police approached them, they were a walking dead person. They were legitimately the closest thing you could get to a zombie. Um, the man he attacked was 65 years old. He was a homeless man living under uh, near the causeway where he was attacked. Um he left a few clues as to what led to the attack. I don't think there really was a reason. I think this man was just completely out of his mind. They pored over surveillance videos. We all did. We just, I mean, I this was live. There was a helicopter above this, and it was the most disturbing. <laughs> mm-hmm. If any of you want to be, you little, you little human monsters, if you want to go look at this, you can uh, – YouTube, this video, this uh, scene, and it is, it's intense. Um,
0: Did they ban bath salts eventually?
3: Yes, so they did. Um, So they called it like the new LSD as a recreational drug, but it was not, it wasn't. They get very aggressive, they're stronger than they usually are, and the emergency room, it took four to five people to control them.
0: Jesus. This
3: is the kind of stuff, you know, that we were dealing with.
0: Oh yes. So I mean I'm thinking so you used to um uh, you created that big event, that zombie event. So if you guys had sold bats salts, maybe you could have had some legitimate zombies, right?
3: A funny thing you say because um I, I did I was one of the organizers of ZombieCon, if any of our listeners know what that was in Fort Myers. Uh hey, hey, even though it ended on a bad note, I did do nine years of pretty epic uh, very calm, and not a lot of problems <laughs> up until <laughs> the last the last era. Um, yeah, I mean, that was a concern for us. And we, I mean, not to get off topic, but we, we did hire, we had to uh, pay for police. We had to hire our own security guards. We had a lot of security there. So it was mostly, uh, up until the last year, a very safe event.
4: Oh, boy. Uh, so, well, so bath salts
0: are basically the biggest threat to safety in Florida until recently. So now you can't buy them at all?
3: No, no, you cannot. Um, and this man ended up, okay, so, citing an, um, imminent threat to public safety, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency banned in 2011 for a year the possession and sale of three chemicals used to make the drug. As they determine how best to combat, combat the growing problem, so it did. It did lead to, you know, some restrictions. Thankfully, from the government of not having human zombies be attacking people and eating faces in Florida. So
4: hey, win. Yeah.
0: <laughs> God. I, was, I just wonder who who came up with the idea originally to use bath salts to get an eye of. Yeah, I mean, maybe there are people just try everything. Uh, I don't know.
3: but it, it's a, it, I mean, if you go look, which I have gotten into, you know, like a YouTube, like, dive of people doing bath salts, It is one of the most terrifying things you will ever watch in your life. Mm. Ever. I mean, I'm talking, I've seen people on heroin, everything else. Bath salts? That's where I'm a little concerned. A little concern
0: for our society. Well, some people get crazy with the drugs, you know. Like um, in Canada, we have this candy called Smarties. They're similar to M and M's, uh, but there's some there's some differences there. But at one Wait, point, are we
3: talking about Smarties that come in the rolled up pack that are like?
0: Well, some some of them come in a in a cardboard box, and others come in a bag. Oh, okay, uh, you know, different colored shells. Uh, anyway, so. These Canadian kids, they would have these parties called smarty parties where they're at somebody's home and they take all the parents' pill bottles, dump all the pills in a bowl, and they just grab a handful and stuff it in their mouth. Who knows what kind of damage it would do, but some kids, when they're young, they just do crazy shit like that, I guess.
3: Okay. Thanks. Uh. Now I'm gonna to go to bed and never sleep again because I have children and this is probably gonna happen. And thank you, Morgan.
0: Well, they'll probably just smoke pot. You know, that thank God. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they don't know what smart. They probably don't know what Smarties are. They're
3: anyway. not. They're never gonna know what Smarties are.
0: Oh, that's good. To, yeah.
3: Unless they're the ones that come in the little wrapped up, you know, package. The little yeah. actual Smarties.
0: Well, I haven't heard about M&M parties, so that's good, at least. Okay, let's keep that safe. Let's keep
3: M&M sacred. Let's keep M&M sacred for for the love uh, of God.
0: So uh, my next story, this this is a pretty uh, serious story, I guess. Uh, So domestic violence reports continue to rise due to COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. The second wave, this is pertaining particularly to Canada uh, statistics, Canadian statistics, the second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic did not stop a rising tide of reports of domestic violence, experts say, warning that the stress of life and lockdown continues to put victims at risk. Canada's Assaulted Women's Helpline fielded 20,334 calls between September 1st and December 31st, 2020, compared to 12,352 over the same period the previous year, said Yvonne Harding, Manager of Resource Development at the organization she said it's very disturbing to know that there are so many women who are in this really precarious situation mm-hmm. there may be there may have been limited support for them beforehand but at least they had outlets she said opportunities to leave the house to get help such as daily trips to and from school have in many cases been eliminated during the pandemic access to friends and family has also been cut off she said leaving victims with fewer options Call volumes spiked almost immediately when swaths of Canada first locked down. Between April 1st and September 20, or September 30th, rather. the center received 51,299 calls wow. compared to 20,010 calls at the same time in 2019. She said everything closed overnight and our crisis lines lit up. We saw a range of calls. We saw those who were feeling immediately threatened because their situation had escalated. And we saw those for whom fears were kicking in because things were starting to change. And they were used to being able to access community supports in person that were no longer available to them. Uh, The assaulted women's helpline has had to expand services and has received government funding to do so. Police too are seeing a spike in domestic related calls, albeit not as pronounced. Data from 17 police forces across the country show that calls related to domestic disturbances, which could involve anything from a verbal quarrel to reports of violence, rose by nearly 12% between March and June of 2020, compared to the same four months in 2019, according to Statistics Canada. It also showed reports of assaults by family members dropped by 4.3%. And reports of sexual assaults by family dropped 17.7 percent. The Ontario Provincial Police did not provide data about domestic incidents. Um, uh, intimate partner violence and mental health are often closely connected. And from what's been reported worldwide, the pandemic has had a profound effect on people's mental health. Um, so, and statistics tell us that domestic violence goes on long before someone actually picks up the phone to call the police. So this one person says, so anecdotally, I can say that often our calls are lower than what's actually happening in the community. So it's interesting. The sexual assault went down, but the physical assault went up. Right. So I guess, I don't know, a lot of these people are sick and tired of being around their part or so much, so losing interest in them, I don't know. So there's just, I guess it's just like a matter of familiarity, breeding contempt, so.
3: Well, I mean, I kind of saw that coming, to be honest. um And being somebody, we'll go ahead and put this out here, guys. I'm a cool chick, but I do suffer from ADHD, generalized anxiety disorder, maybe a little PTSD. But I have myself pretty much uh, therapeutically, uh, you know, see a therapist and I'm drugged, so I'm good. However, I think about this when this pandemic started. These people who are stuck in a situation, in a home, even children, you know, mothers, fathers, whoever, in an abusive relationship and they can't get out that's terrifying that's scary you know to not be able to get out of an abusive relationship uh, during a pandemic that's that's new this is new we don't know how we don't know how to handle this
4: well, the last time yep. there was a
0: really serious plague like that, that was centuries ago.
3: Like centuries ago, and now it's like, you know, what do you do, like, how do you handle this? What are the, we don't have enough mental, uh, you know, help as it is in this in this country, at least in my country.
0: Well, during, like, the Black Plague, <clears throat> you know, there was no place for women to go even before or after. Correct. So I guess it would have been even worse back then. So. Yep. But uh, I, I don't know. It didn't say anything about how much children are being abused, though I have read that that's gone up as well. I think all the, the most different forms of abuse have definitely got worse. Uh, people are frustrated about, uh, you know, just watching COVID shit on their dreams, basically. Yep. It's not okay to take it out on those around you. But I, I know it's certainly something that's frustrating me. Um, there's the lots of things I want to do that are, you just can't do right now because of the pandemic. Um but yeah, it's it's I think it's definitely t- taken a toll on most people's mental health.
3: It's absolutely 100% exas- exacerbated many people's mental health, you know. Thankfully, and you know, we don't have uh <clears throat> sponsors, but you know, like there's there's places like that are online that you can seek therapy. You don't even have to leave the comfort of your house. Totally recommend that to people who are suffering. You know, don't be a hero. Uh, reach out to somebody that can help you for sure.
0: Well, it seems like one way to cope with it is uh, you ever, do you know about HugA? You ever heard of that?
3: <clears throat> yeah, I have actually.
0: Yeah. So that's for those of you who don't know what that is. Uh, it's this concept kind of created by the Danes in people in Denmark so it consists of basically just setting aside part of your day where you're just, you're just reveling in comfort, whatever that means for you. Uh, you relax, you en- enjoy doing whatever it is you like to do, something you like to eat, a favorite beverage or whatever. And I think part of it, big part of it's relaxation, but they actually make a point of setting aside part of the day just to en- enjoy themselves. And the Danes are some of the happiest people in the world. So maybe that's a way to cope with, with the pandemic. Like I'll know Have I'll you found
3: talking. that helpful to you?
0: Well, I think it's been helpful to, like, you know, um, I mm. think one thing that's common, I think people are watching a lot of Netflix, just take your mind off it, you know, mm-hmm. watch your favorite movies or TV shows, and I've been re-watching my Golden Girls DVDs, and so that's, that's entertaining. Okay. Let's
3: all just stop for a moment, okay, for those of you who listen to Human Monsters and listen to Morgan like I do. Loving his voice and his very soothing cadence. Let's just all talk about the fact that he he watches Golden Girls for fun, okay? This is the Morgan that I want you to know.
0: <laughs> I have a T-shirt too. Yeah. It's
3: the greatest thing in the world. So when we first talked, I'm like, wait, Morgan Rector is listening to Golden Girls, watching. Yes, we are spirit animals. This is this is my man right now. Yeah.
0: Oh, I watched it with my grandmother when I was a kid in the '80s. Love it, and,
3: and
0: uh, it's not just a show for women. I don't think it is. Or for oh no, years. it's a really funny show. I think, and I think actually a lot of different, a lot of people of different generations enjoy
3: it. It was brilliant writing. Just like Rose, Rose- okay. Roseanne was one of my favorites. Brilliant writing.
0: Oh yeah, I, I love Betty White, and you know she's she's great, and it's great to see that she's. But she's probably going to turn 100, and that's really Oh, well, cool.
3: she's a national treasure, and we have to save her at all costs.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
3: 100%. <laughs> so
0: what's your next story?
3: Oh, my gosh. Let me find my next story. So I'm just going to put this out here that I thought we were recording next week, so Morgan has me completely unprepared, but I'm riding by the seat of my pants because I am a single mother who
4: works 47 jobs. We're going to go with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was getting ready to do this one. We're going to save that for next week. Hold up. So I wanted to save this for a future episode, but I am going
3: to, I'm going to mention it just because it came up in recent news locally for me. And and I hate to do another local story, but it, it was very
4: true to me. Um, When I was in high school, which was five years ago, and by that I mean 25 years ago, (laughs) um, we had
3: a a really big crazy thing that happened that got international news. It was a gang called the Lords of Chaos. Mm -hmm. Uh, Morgan didn't know of it, but I think probably some of our – USA people might have known about it just because it was kind of a big deal. Were Are they the couple,
0: uh, t- were they typical street gang, like the Bloods and the Crips?
3: Not at all. Completely the opposite. They were three very kind of nerdier, laid-back, not laid-back, just kind of really, I don't want to say goth, because it technically wasn't goth yet, but just... You know, not the most popular kids in school. And, um, you know, the, the ringleader, Kevin Foster, kind of led the other two along, I think. Um, so what they had done is they, they, they started this quote-unquote gang called Boards of Chaos. And in our town, they went on a little crime spree, if you will. They burned down. We had a, uh, it was a Coca-Cola plant that was a super old. It was, you know, one of our beautiful historic buildings. They burnt that down and um they decided to steal a bunch of things from around town. They, uh broke into places they did- they they lit fires in other in other buildings they let off grenades um one night they had decided that they were going to break into our high school where i went
2: mm-hmm.
3: um in the middle of that, one of our teachers, who was a beautiful beautiful man young man he was thirty two he was a band director um at my high school um caught them breaking in.
0: Mark Schwebes was his name how do you speak? Yeah,
3: his name is Mark Schwebes. Yeah, he was 32, band director at Riverdale. He caught the members uh they were loitering on the school grounds. Um I guess they had got they were trying to steal like staplers, a fire extinguisher. Um you know, just ridiculous and he had you know angrily run them out. Um, So they left and got very angry with him. And then they decided to have a plot to kill him. Um, Approximately 1130 on the
4: night. Oh, what was the night? Hold up. Where to go April twentieth nineteen
3: ninety six don't correct me if I'm wrong with that guys um, as approximately eleven thirty p m uh Mark heard a knock at a door open it, <clears throat> he received an immediate blast to the face from a mossberg twelve gauge shotgun, which authorities believe. Killed him instantly, thankfully. Um, Kevin Foster, who was the ringleader of the um, quote-unquote gang, shot him a second time in the buttocks um, because he wrongly perceived him to be a homosexual. Um, mistakenly believing that it was impossible to trace shells back to his shotgun because it was a smooth-bore weapon. Foster left the two, spent shotgun shells at the scene
4: well, um
0: linguistics like experts don't exist right here.
3: well yeah so apparently a homophobe thinking
4: Supposedly.
3: that yeah that Mark Shoebes was you know um a gay male whether he was or wasn't I don't know if that was even confirmed um like I said, they 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 did bomb a Coca Cola a Coca Cola bottling plant. Um, eventually, they did get charged. Kevin Foster is right now currently on death row in Florida. It's been 25 years. He his death sentence keeps being pushed back and pushed back because you know Florida. Yeah. Um, The two other um, suspects, I honestly, if you look into it, I feel very bad for them. I think they were young kids that were in a really just crappy situation led by a psychopath. Um, Derek Shields
4: was one of them. and um, Oh, what was the other one? Hang on.
3: Mm-mm-mm. Shields. He pled guilty to murder. He is,
4: I think, life imprisonment. He has done um, some, some. what do you call them, what we're doing now? Interviews? Thank you. Thanks, interview, thanks interview.
3: Morgan. That's what you're here for, to remind my 40-year-old brain of what I'm thinking about. He's done interviews, and I don't believe that they're really horrible people. I believe that Kevin Foster deserves to die. I think he's an absolute piece of human garbage, and I don't give a shit what happens to him. But I do feel a little bad for the guys that kind of got caught up in that teenage kind of wanting to fit in, you know. I but I One of them was the, the getaway driver, and then I believe Derek Shields was the one who tried to stop him. But when somebody pulls a gun out in front of you, you know. What are you going to do? Yeah. But I, I want to leave that by saying that Mr. Mark Schwebe's was one of the most amazing people. Uh, as a teenager that I knew, he, he was just absolutely a wonderful human being. And on this, the 25th anniversary of his death, I'd like people to not forget this and remember this and still remember that Kevin Foster deserves to die in death row
4: and
0: you you had Schweebies as a teacher did you
3: um i personally did not but i did very much know him um mm-hmm. he was just kind of a an exuberant wonderful delightful teacher uh that kind of knew everybody so we all knew him it it it, it rocked our school it it was pretty oh, so sure. yeah we had counselors on on hand it was it, it was ugh. Not something I wish on people, but you know did now they, we have mass shootings all the time, so
0: did they hold like a tribute for them, like as, as an assembly we, or something like that or?
3: Of course, absolutely, we did. Okay. We had a beautiful, a beautiful ceremony um, we all we were all there for each other, um, great group of kids that year. we were all pretty close, um, very thankful of the teachers and staff and counselors and students that held each other up. It was a in the face of a very, very brutal and horrible thing. A uh, community came together. So, you know, that was kind of a beautiful moment to, to be there for each other.
0: Yeah, and that, so that had elements of a hate crime. And the next story I'm going into is a hate crime. Oh, perfect segue.
3: Yeah, the heading is
0: a uh, Iowa woman pleads guilty to hate crime charges for attempting to kill two children because of their race and national origin. Oh, God. So, uh, yeah, she pled guilty in federal court to hate crime charges because she attempted to kill two children because of that. Uh, according to her admissions, Nicole Poole Franklin, 42 years old, uh, that she made during the hearing on the afternoon of December 9th, 2019, Uh, She was driving her Jeep on um, Preston Avenue in Des Moines, Iowa, where the first child victim was walking along the sidewalk with another younger relative. Upon seeing the children and believing that the victim was of Middle Eastern or African descent, Poole Franklin drove her vehicle over the curb towards both children, striking both of them. Poole Franklin then drove away from the scene. The assault resulted in injury to the victim including cuts, bruising, and swelling. Approximately 30 minutes later, Poole Franklin was driving her Jeep near Indian Hills Junior High School in Clive, Iowa, where the second child victim was walking on the sidewalk. Poole Franklin, believing the child was Mexican, drove her vehicle over the curb and struck the victim, causing serious injury, including concussion, bruises, and cuts. Poole Franklin drove away from the scene but was apprehended later that day. Um, So there's a quote here by a district attorney, or sorry, Deputy Assistant Attorney General of Iowa. Nicole Poole Franklin attempted to kill two children because she thought they came from another country. Uh, All people in the United States, regardless of where they came from, have the right to be free from fear of violence because of who they are. The Justice Department will continue to protect the civil rights of all individuals and prosecute hate crimes as we have done in this case. Our office will vigorously pursue civil rights prosecutions against individuals such as Miss Poole Franklin for hate-motivated attacks. And, uh, and, you know, it's quite amazing, this thing I've noticed uh, that's going on in the states for a few years now, is that people like that are are incredibly bold now. They're very open about it.
3: Well, Uh, yeah.
0: Do you find that happens in Florida a lot where people are just coming out with these, you know, racist, you know, Verbal attacks or physical attacks, and they're just not bashful about it anymore.
3: Well, I mean, if, I, if I'm going to be honest in in this in this podcast, and not, I'm going to try not to be political, okay? But I am going to say that in the last administration that we had, I do believe that it empowered people who are already racist, to not hide the racism. It's still very much a problem. I see it all the time, especially living in Florida. Um, Unfortunately, you know, there's some members of government that don't want to acknowledge that it's a problem. Yeah. but But it is a problem and it needs to be addressed.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like it's important for politicians to conduct themselves with a certain amount of decorum, uh, to set an example in in terms of morals and conduct. It's funny because I remember in that uh, documentary, Bowling for Columbine, Mm -hmm. uh, Marilyn Manson said the president is more influential than he is. And I thought, well, that's not true. I mean, nobody really you know copies of the president they don't really model themselves after the president but yet that that's been happening in the last few years like during Trump's presidency there were a lot of people who really kind of modeled themselves after him and behaved in ways that were rem- reminiscent of um, his philosophy and at its worst I'll say so yeah it's uh it does matter how politicians conduct themselves
3: well and he does it with a way i mean As the president of the United States of
4: America, having that power and that voice,
3: saying what you're saying and doing what you're doing is is a big deal.
0: Do you have friends of uh, other races who have experienced racist incidents lately? Oh, 100%. Oh,
3: on a regular basis. On a regular basis. It's it's not even hidden half of the time. It's it's quite disgusting. Um but all I can be is an advocate and try to teach my children better. But part of that is you know I I always want to be able to respect that we have a you know respect the president. But this was somebody that I could not let my children listen to when I'm listening to my NPR or BBC news, Yeah,
4: <laughs>
3: you know, and, and have them listen to this man speak they're like mom, is that Trump? And I'm like, yeah, buddy.
0: Well, uh, and it's not just ba- people. It's not just people in the media, but there's also people out in public that they're going to see who are, you know, exhibiting that kind of behavior and those attitudes. And of course kind of example, and they're not always going to have you around. So, you know, those influences are, are toxic, and they're out there, you know?
3: Well, I mean, my kids come home and tell me that, you know, they're seven and nine. Oh, well, well, my friend said that the pre- that President Trump's a great president. I'm like, hmm, you know, <laughs> that's their parents saying that. So, hey, it's okay, buddy. You just don't get into a conversation with them. It's it's fine. You just, you know, steer away from that conversation. <laughs>
0: Well, the sad thing about those kids who are kept in the cages, um, a lot of them, they've never seen their parents. They'll never see them again. Like, that was such a mess, which is oh. really tragic, I think. Uh, that is such a sad thing. So,
3: it really is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the the DACA problem and the children ripped away from their parents. And, you know, Florida's is just a hot mess. Let's be honest.
0: Yeah. Well, didn't the events of Scarface, weren't they based on real incidents? I mean, it's a that character's fictional, of course, but the whole thing with the, the Cubans coming in, that's kind of based on real life, right?
3: Listen, first off, pretty sure that whatever my uh, Cuban or any kind of like crazy drug lord that's going on down wherever that's going, it's probably worse at this point. Drugs aren't going anywhere.
0: Well, I mean, you take some people and you force them to live, you know, in camps while some mm-hmm. of the country is living in, you know, regular dwellings. I mean, don't be surprised if some of them end up acting like animals, right? You know, like caged animals. Absolutely. So, I mean, they criticized the Cuban government, but when their refugees went there, they didn't exactly treat them any better either. No, they didn't. No, they
3: didn't. And 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 where else? I mean, if I were stuck in a place that bad with my family, you know, guess what? I'd be trying to get them out too.
4: Oh, too,
0: almost totally. And you, mentioned- I mean, I'm
3: about I'm about ready to, to move to Canada to get away from the U.S. So, I mean, I hope you have a a couch.
4: <laughs> yeah, we have a couch. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, Lord, help me.
0: So I have a story here. Uh, you mentioned a female serial killer and butcher earlier. This is a yes. female offender. This woman in Reading, Pennsylvania, is sentenced to 15 years in prison for sex tra- trafficking children. So it's usually men, but there are a few women who cool. do. So uh, yes, Melissa Madera, 27, of Reading, was sentenced to 15 years in prison and a lifetime of supervised release by United States District Judge Joseph P. Leeson for multiple child exploitation and sex trafficking offenses. In September 2020, she pleaded guilty of two counts of sex trafficking minors and one count each of distribution, receipt, and possession of child pornography. Wow. The charges charges stem from Madera's trafficking of two children, a 15-year-old girl and a 17-year-old girl from about August until October 2017, she forced the girl to engage in commercial sex for her own financial gain, a.k.a. prostitution, all while plying the minors with drugs like ecstasy and cocaine to ensure their compliance. Sometimes one of the girls would not make it to school the following day because she had been given so many drugs the previous night. But how are, old were these girls? Uh, Fifteen and seventeen. Oh. And she, Madera also obtained a sexually explicit image of one of the girls and used it on a commercial sex trafficking website, advertising the minor for commercial sex acts, in, using locations like the Quality Inn in, in, in Wyoming, Pennsylvania, and the Days Inn, Klein's Motel and Roadway Inn in Redding, because motels do tend to be the places where a lot of these incidents happen. Uh, The defendant would rent two rooms at the hotel. One room was for the commercial sex acts, and Madera would stay in the other after meeting the sex buyers and charging a fee of $200 per hour. After the 15-year-old's mother reported her missing to the Reading Police Department in October 2017, Madera confronted the girl and assaulted her, stating, This is what you get for being a rat. The crimes committed by this defendant will physically and psychologically impact her victim's For years to come, said an attorney, Madeira advertised these children like objects and plied them with drugs so she'd be more easily able to control them. Her behavior is horrifying, and she deserves every single day of that prison sentence. Mm. So this woman's just clearly a sociopath.
4: So,
3: interesting because she's a female. So that's not typical, right? No. In these kind of scenarios... My other thought when you tell me this is, when are we going to
4: be able to to find these websites <laughs> that yeah. are
3: trafficking children? Like, how are we not able to do this yet?
0: Well, it's the dark web, um, and it, these people, they are very savvy with with Internet-based technology. And as
4: I have heard. <laughs> Well,
0: yeah, I heard about this software called Tor and what it does. Yeah, is, yeah it's basically, it's like, it makes you invisible online so no one can yep. track your movements.
3: Yep, no tracking. Um,
0: but, yeah, you don't access these areas, you know, just, like, casually, like, going to Google and finding them. It's, uh, you, you have to have connections, and it's uh, supposed to be a very complicated thing.
3: It's absolutely <laughs> terrifying.
0: Well, I read this story about a, a girl who was... um kind of like Clary Sterling in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. She was still a student at the FBI, but I think when they're getting closer to graduation, they do start to investigate real crimes. So her task was to infiltrate the the pedos who sell and make child pornography and who actually engage in child sex trafficking. Yeah. So she said that um, it's hard to get in. You have to have child pornography to show them so they know you're legit. And it took a long time for her to get through. But then finally she met a woman there through a chat applet. And uh, the woman said to her this thing, and I'll never forget this. She said, mm. Me and my husband have some kids, and we're raising them pedo. What
3: the fuck does that mean?
0: Well, they're sexually abusing them, and they – it's From the get-go, yeah.
4: What are you – wait, wait, back the fuck up. What? Yeah, that's fucked up, eh? She said. She yes, said
3: they're raising their children as pedo as if it's a lifestyle.
0: Well, yeah, like basically they were having sex with their children and normalizing it in their household.
3: Okay, well, you know what? That just that that takes you to immediate just death. You can't be rehabilitated. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah,
0: actually, the Paul Bernardo Carla Homonka case. Oh. That almost happened. I don't know if I mentioned it in the, the show. That was so long ago. It was two years ago. But um, they were shooting these home movies on their honeymoon in Hawaii. And at one point, uh, they started talking about having kids. And Carla said to him, you're going to fuck them all, aren't you?
3: So, I remember that. I remember yeah. that.
0: Which is another. So every time she's tried to play Miss Innocent, battered wife, nobody's bought into it. Canadians hate that chick.
3: Well, and now and now Carla is is running free, um, with a new identity.
0: Yeah, she's in Quebec because they didn't follow the case very closely. Uh, it was mostly something that English Canada paid attention to, but mm-hmm. there are people in Quebec who know she, who she is. Uh, there are Anglophones, English speakers there. So, uh, yeah. She, she Has was, anyone
3: tried to call her out at all?
0: Oh yeah, and people taking. Yeah people taking pictures of her she was volunteering for kids school and i think i heard parents, yeah some parents uh definitely objected to that so
4: as you're I mean, you i I wouldn't
3: let her near my child with i mean
4: can, well,
3: I, from florida to canada honey stay away cuz mama bear gets you
4: oh yeah she was
0: i mean it was bec- it was just because of bad uh I think it was because of Paul Bernardo's lawyer um, retaining the videotapes for a long time that yeah. she was able to make that plea deal. Because if, if that hadn't happened, she would still be in prison as we speak, as she should be.
3: So. I, I also believe she should be. It was it was mind-blowing when I found out that she was released. It's absolutely disturbing. But I will say this about, I mean, Florida's a shit state. You know, not going to lie, but after listening to a lot of your Canadian um, stories, what really is a hard problem for me is that you do have a lot of more lenient um, uh, sentences when it comes to some of the crimes like murder and rape and all that kind of stuff than we do here.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, murder is a 25-year 25, 25,
3: right. Yeah.
0: So if you kill one person, it, that's the typical sentence. Um, if, he, But, you know, it depends on the individual, too. Like, Bernardo not only killed three people, but he committed a lot of rapes, and so he got that designation dangerous offender. So he'll, Right,
3: oh, right. That. That's what I've learned listening to, yeah. to your podcast, is the differentiation. But my question is, do you find that a just system, or do you think that it should be harsher penalties for certain things?
0: Um, it seems just to me. I mean, I haven't. Um, well, there was. Well, like with the uh, Tory Stafford case, uh, Terry Clin McKintick almost went to what they called an Aboriginal healing lodge for women, mm-hmm. but they just felt like th- this girl participated in unbelievably heinous crime. She doesn't deserve. To, be in such a compassionate environment. So, I mean, I was as outraged about that as anyone else was. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, maybe it does get a little too soft sometimes, but I think ultimately it's, uh, it, I don't know, I, I guess if people get what they deserve here in terms of mm-hmm. those charges. So.
3: How do you feel about the death penalty that we have here?
0: Well, we don't have it here. Um,
3: it but it's, but like, here, I mean, in general, like if you, like, what What are your feelings
0: on that well, I mean, isn't it more of a punishment to keep them alive for a long long time? you know I
3: mean, absolutely it, it does
0: cost a lot of money to mm-hmm. like I think it's like a minimum of forty thousand dollars a year to keep an inmate alive, you know everything from food and clothing to medical care um but on the other hand, you're keeping you're punishing them you know it sucks mm-hmm. in prison um it, unless they become an animal in their own right, in order to survive, which a lot of people do. Um, but yeah, that seems like more of a punishment to me. Whereas uh, a lot of people commit suicide in jail, so obviously death would be a relief. Yeah, unless you were actually innocent, in which case it's pretty tragic. But
3: very much so, and that and that it, that's where I kind of have my issue with it. But you know, forensics have come a long way. Um, I kind of well, don't like, know where I stand on it, so.
0: Well, there was, like, the, the West Memphis 3 case. So, oh, tough Damien, case,
3: tough
0: like, case. Oh, yeah, Damien Echols was saying, like, he, he must he sat, like, I don't know, three or four times. and heard somebody sentence him to death, like, each time. Oh. And sat on death row for years, like, and it fucked him up pretty badly, too. Like, when he got out, uh, it just, I don't remember everything he said about it, but it, adjusting to normal life where you know you're not going to die anytime soon. That was hard for him to adjust to. You so. can't
3: imagine.
4: Yeah. That but, was well, that was
3: a horrible, horrible oh, that's one that sticks with me for sure. Oh yeah. That was a brutal story. Those those kids, man. Oof.
4: I didn't hear
0: about it until many years after it all happened. But yeah. Yeah, I, I
3: don't think I did either. But I'm
0: yeah, sure. I watched the three documentaries, the Paradise Lost films. Yep. Which I'd they, recommend. They're really good. To anyone who hasn't seen them before,
3: definitely check those out. Me and Morgan are very young guys, so listen don't <laughs> yeah. don't let us don't let us fool you. We're 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 young. We're not young. Okay,
0: I got a I got an, an animal abuse story. Is this gonna be too oh! much? Go ahead. You can handle it.
3: I can handle anything you throw at me, honey. Okay. Born ready.
0: Riverside,
3: California.
0: Okay. Authorities this morning arrested a Riverside man on a federal charge, alleging that he slit throat of his young dog, produced mm. a short video of the dying puppy, and posted the video on his Snapchat account. Um, now this Spanish name, do you know if it's 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 spelled Angel? Is it pronounced Angel? Do you know that? Angel, yeah, angel, yeah. Angel, Okay, Angel Ramos Corrales, 19, was arrested without incident this morning by the FBI and the Riverside Police Department. And, uh, yeah, so he's named in a federal criminal complaint filed Friday that charges him with animal crushing. So there's a specific charge for that. Mm. Um, let me see. How old is he? He's 19.
3: Oh, this is a bad start.
0: This, Yeah, this is probably a guy who... This is a
3: bad start he'll, right here, Morgan.
0: Oh, yeah. So according to the affidavit and supporting of the complaint, The affidavit in support of the complaint, the Riverside Police Department received a complaint on February 13th, soon after Ramos Corrales allegedly posted the video um, depicting their small brown dog with a large laceration on its neck. On the video, a person believed to be Ramos Corrales makes a series of statements, including I'm cold-hearted, and then he callously kicked the dog, who was still alive. What? Oh, yeah. He said they found blood stains on the man's clothes,
3: freshly cut wounds on his hand. Um Oh no. We immediately need to take him into a psychiatric ward. That man is going to be a serial killer. Absolutely not. Nope.
0: Yeah. So there's more details about the charges here All right, go. Um so yeah, the dog was brought to a veterinarian, but they had to euthanize it cuz mm. uh, just too much too many injuries. Um Let me see. Purchase a puppy from Craigslist. So maybe maybe Craigslist, they don't do much screening at all, do they? Okay,
3: first off, I'm going to pause you. Don't ever, 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 ever put an animal on Craigslist for sale or for free. If you don't know that already, now you fucking know it. Don't ever do that. Now you may proceed. Sorry, that was a public service announcement.
0: Well, that was like that uh, that serial killer. I um, I did the case for the the. He uh, was in California. They called him the Vampire. Um, what the fuck's his name? The Santa Santa Barbara. No, it's not Santa Barbara.
4: The
3: Vampire. There wasn't of Sacramento. a Craigslist killer. There was a Craigslist
0: killer too. Uh, Richard Chase. So that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, the, the Vampire of Sacramento. So he bought, he went and bought animals from people who didn't screen, like selling rabbits and whatnot.
3: Exactly.
0: And went and cut, killed them and drank their blood. Um, but then there's this whole issue with animal shelters where they're asking you t- all these tough questions when you want to adopt an animal. Oh. And I know they I know they, they're protecting the animals and that's a good thing. But on the other hand, it, these these questionnaires screen out maybe perhaps too many people, and that's mm-hmm. why a lot of these animals get euthanized. So I don't know. It seems like there's no balance in that area.
3: Agreed. Agreed.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, this, one's, this next story uh, would be very uncomfortable for you as a woman. Uh, it involves a plastic surgeon and things that he did to women. So... Let me see, Where's it stir here? So, yeah, let me, Mandy. Let Gupta, me
3: sit back and relax and hold okay. on to my fake
0: boobs. Uh, Mandy Gupta, 50, of Sylvania, Ohio, a former Toledo area plastic surgeon, pleaded guilty in federal court on Monday, April 26th to sex trafficking by force, fraud, or coercion, and illegally dispensing a controlled substance. This plea is just one step in a long recovery process for the victim whose courage and bravery should be commended. Mr. Gupta's acknowledgement of his heinous crimes now moves this matter to sentencing, where the government will be seeking a significant term of incarceration. Importantly, though, any additional victims of Mr. Gupta are encouraged to contact the FBI. Every victim of sexual violence deserves justice. Manish Gupta has now accepted responsibility for preying on, drugging, and sexually victimizing women. He misused his position of trust for his own sexual gratification. He will now be held accountable for his reprehensible criminal behavior. The FBI encourages anyone that was sexually victimized by him to contact the FBI at 1-877-FBI-OHIO. So, let me see. So, yes, So according to court records, from on or about August 9th, 2016, Mm-hmm. Through on or about 20, September twenty fourth, 2016, Gupta forced, threatened, forced, and coerced a woman identified in the indictment as victim number one to engage in sexual acts. Without the victim's knowledge or consent, Gupta administered an incapacitating controlled substance to commit a crime of violence against her, namely rape. Gupta was this
3: re- in a a, a a home environment or was this in a... Medical environment.
0: Uh, let me see. So, he traveled to medical conferences in large urban areas, okay, including Chicago, Cleveland, Miami, oh, Florida, Fort Lauderdale, and Los Angeles. And uh, he would stay at the, the hotels in these cities. He would hire escorts, and ah, which is I don't understand. I mean, they if you're paying them. You're, you get to have sex with him. That doesn't make sense.
3: Well, but, he, had a, he had a fetish. He didn't want it to be given willingly. He wanted to take it.
0: Yeah, so Dr. fucking Cosby.
3: <laughs> Hi.
0: Administered, a little
3: Cosby drink, darling. Exactly.
0: Administered incapacitating drugs to his victims and performing sexual acts of violence without their oh. consent. So, I mean, this is, the, yeah, so like the fact that these are prostitutes means he didn't have to do that. So this is just a, a sickness. This is exactly.
3: A, yeah, this pathology. is a psychopathic. Yeah, this is a an, an ill an ill yeah. an illness.
0: Just like with Cosby, <laughs> like if you're if you're a guy like Cosby and you're you're that rich and that famous, and in the eighties, if you recall, remember how big the Cosby Show was?
3: Oh, of like, course, I, I watched it every Thursday night with my family.
0: Me too. Every he was a household every Thursday. Kid. Oh yeah, he was—he was like, as they say, America's favorite dad. Yeah. So when when you're a male who's that successful, you don't have to drug women. You can. No. You can get women to have sex with you, but it it must be the uh, the pathology of wanting to abuse women, where you're drugging them and raping them. That must be the only explanation.
3: It it's an interesting and and I think we should delve into that maybe in one in, in a future episode into that psyche. It's a, it's an interesting thing, and that's what really – one of the reasons I love true crime is what makes people, you know, be that yeah. way.
4: Well, what is it?
0: It's interesting because uh, uh, Richard Pryor's widow, Jennifer Lee Pryor, was saying that she wasn't surprised. She said he tried to fuck everything that moved. <laughs> uh, I actually know a woman who met Cosby because her ex-husband was uh, – he was a football player and later on a private football coach, and uh, Cosby was going to hire him to coach his son, who had aspirations to be a football player. Oof. So she went with her husband to New York City and met Cosby, and the first thing he said to her was, "So you came to meet the king?"
3: Oh Jesus Christ, get the fuck out of here!
0: So the arrogant, you know, all that's that, when I
3: say, "Bye, bitch!" Absolutely not. <laughs>
0: Yeah, all that pain into his head, right? You know.
3: No. <laughs> Be stronger.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's not that it's excusable, but all that sexual harassment, like the kind that Harvey Weinstein inflicted oh. on women, it it must come, it must have its roots in having women throw themselves at you because you're rich and successful. Uh, but then you get develop a feeling of entitlement where you think, well they're all going to want to sleep with me. They all want to be with a rich guy.
3: You know, yeah. and Morgan, let me not lie. You know, I am a 40-year-old woman. I'm not completely unattractive. And there is there, there's an interesting thing with men and women. And you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. We are different beings. We're talking about the worst of the worst. In our yeah. in our in our you know stories
4: these are people that are
3: mentally not well some of us i mean me and you probably have mental problems but we know how to deal with them properly Thank but
4: you. men are still men and women are still women you know when you come down to the nitty gritty of it so
3: i don't know where that line defines i'm still trying to figure it out we're still trying to evolve we're not cavemen anymore. You know, we want equal rights. We want to accept everybody no matter what. But I don't even know what the hell that looks like anymore.
0: Well, I read this thing about fame. It said whatever negative characteristics you have in your personality, it'll lead to them becoming accentuated and, and consolidated. So if, if you're like an arrogant prick, mm-hmm. then even worse about that. And if you're, if you're lecherous toward women, then that gets worse, too. But it doesn't help that you get groupies. So, I mean, right, right, right. Most young you, men, you get
3: built up, yeah.
0: Yeah, most young men who fantasize about you know being a rock star or rap star, or whatever it is, they part of the fantasy is all the women who are going to want to have sex with you backstage, and it's not a lie. It's that's the way it is, you know. Right. But it uh, doesn't mean that every woman wants to have sex with you. So
3: Right. Interesting. It's an interesting dynamic.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, on that note, I thank you very much uh, to you and to our listeners. You did a very good job for your first
4: episode.
3: (laughs) So next episode, I'm going to be way more prepared because, like I said, Mama's got a lot of irons on the fire, but I'm very, very excited. I am absolutely thrilled to be given this opportunity. I hope that it goes well. I hope that the audience receives it well. I really do hope they get to see a side of you that I see, you know, you you are that calming, soothing voice, but you also have a little deeper uh fun side. So, I'm going to bring it out of you. Yeah, <laughs> you know,
0: we we'll see <laughs> Yeah, we can There's going to be a few more laughs, you know. Like I have to be very careful in the usual episodes about humor, you know. Exactly. And I
3: don't mean to take any of, yes, I don't take my stories lightly whatsoever. But you know what? We are going to make fun of uh, some things sometimes, but not the important things.
4: Yes,
0: exactly. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me tonight.
3: My pleasure.
0: All right. Have a good night. You as well,
3: my dear. It's
4: Florida evening.
3: It is Florida evening. It is 1120. And, yes, my behind is heading to bed shortly.
4: Oh, okay.